Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Andy. And before we get started with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about RebateJet.com. What is RebateJet? Well, it's a piece of software that I created that will help Amazon sellers get their products noticed. You can launch with promo codes, rebates. Not only that, but you can list your product for free on the RebateJet third-party marketplace. You don't pay a single penny unless you make a sale. And when you do, it's only a $1 flat fee per product. Try it today, RebateJet.com. Welcome to the Seller Roundtable e-commerce coaching and business strategies with Andy Arnott and Amy Wees. What are what are your favorite methods to send stock to Amazon? You know, is it going direct? Do you recommend people go direct from China? Do you recommend they go from a three PL? Um, kind of what do you what are the different processes? Um, you know that that can be used to get stock to Amazon, and which one is your favorite, and which one is the most reliable? Yeah, so direct from China always 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 a good way to go. It gets a little bit difficult to do that nowadays. So that was always the preferred method because you avoid a lot of the fees that, you know, the middleman takes up in your, you know, 3PL. So if you can send some straight from China, that is recommended. So if you have, you know, enough to send a container load and you're able to get that in, you know, in terms of your restock limits, that's great. But a lot of people are not able to do that now. So they're going to have to truck in inventory. And it's important to understand tr- the trucking and what's happening with trucking in the Amazon ecosystem right now. Um, had a conversation with uh, Sebastian Oskazi, who will be speaking at our event that Amy and I, we haven't mentioned, but Amy and I are having uh, an event and he's going to be speaking at it. So I was picking his brain, I really wanted to understand what's going on with trucking these days. And it's actually pretty interesting. There's two types of contracts that Amazon has with trucking companies. They have agreements where a trucking company can just drop their trailer and then leave and, you know, pick up, sometimes pick up an empty trailer um, on their way out. Or there are some contracts where basically the shipping company says, I'm not dropping my trailer because you are not going to give it back to me. And we're running out of trailers. And that's where you get into the trailer shortages. So they have refused. T-Force is one of them. T-Force used to be UPS freight and was bought out by a Canadian company earlier this year. But their basic agreement is we are only coming when there's an available dock open and we just unload our stuff and we leave with our trailer. Um, and so that, that helps to, even if their scheduled appointment is later than say some of these other companies, there's, um, companies that work with Amazon freight, which Amazon freight is basically just a bunch of trailers that they give to other trucking companies. And they say, here's your trailer, drop it off, leave with an empty one. But when they don't unload it, that becomes the problem. So you have to understand the companies that you're dealing with, the companies that you're loading all of your LTL in, how, how do they, what arrangement do they have with Amazon? And is your net check-in time going to be better or worse, depending on what's happening uh, in, in the freight, in the freighting industry and in, in Amazon warehouses currently? Yeah, it's a really interesting insight because, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, all the LTLs, all the shipping, all that stuff is uh, handled the same way. What's interesting is, is, you know, I've, I've done in the past, you know, these quick little shipments, 
you know, using like the postal service. And what yeah. people don't realize is like the postal service is actually one of the most reliable when it comes to like small shipments to Amazon. Like I can even do priority, you know, get there two days and they check it in like almost immediately because there's somebody there like handing it to them, right? It's not like this giant truck or, I mean, not necessarily. I mean, UPS, uh, USPS still backs a truck up, but what I'm saying is it's the same kind of setup where they're like handing stuff off. It's not just getting dropped in the yard and then forgotten, like in the heaps of containers that are in the back corner that, you know, the, the guy who just worked the 10 hour shift is like, yeah, I'll get to that tomorrow, you know? So exactly. that's it. Yeah, the small parcel delivery can be more, it's usually more expensive, but you know, if you've really got to get something in and you want to make sure it gets in, the check-in times can be a lot faster. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the other things that a lot of people have a lot of trouble with is packaging. And that's part of this whole equation, right? They're either not double bagging stuff that needs to be, they're not labeling it correctly. They're sending in restricted products. Um, Can you talk to kind of how to avoid that and, and maybe some common best practices to not hit some of those pitfalls? Yeah. So um, first of all, you know, Amazon has all of that data on their website. So making sure that you go through all of that information and, you know, if you have to create a checklist for yourself, create a checklist, that's something that we've been diving into um, in a way uh, in terms of packaging. Like, obviously, if you're packaging it incorrectly, you're either going to be caught, uh, charged fees. Uh, Amazon will charge you prep fees. Uh, and if you're uh, on the other side of things, there's certain requirements for pallet size. There's certain requirements for carton size. And the very interesting thing is that there are certain requirements right now um, for minimums from your freight forwarder. That's something that we've been really diving into is that, you know, uh, what you used to, to, how you used to package your inventory, they might be charging you more because your pack, your, your load is too light. So for example, you know, uh, freight forwarder charges, you know, a minimum of 12 kilograms per carton. Well, if you've got seven kilograms or you've got nine kilograms, you're still going to be charged as if you've got 12 kilograms. So reconfiguring, looking at, you know, reaching out to your freight forwarder and saying, what are your minimums? And then reaching out to your supply, your supplier and saying, what are my packaging dimensions and seeing if those two are in agreement, or if you're being charged thousands of dollars more simply for having light cartons. That's something that we've uh, recently uh, uncovered. And I'm I'm a complete nerd, but I created a carton calculator, you know, or I'm working on creating a carton calculator because I think that's uh, an extremely valuable part of a conversation. We know about, you know, optimizing containers, but nobody's talking about optimizing your cartons now that we've got the U.S. Customs has certain requirements, Amazon has certain requirements, and your freight forwarder has certain requirements. Yeah, absolutely. I think you brought up a, a lot of great points there. One of the other things that's uh, one of the things you mentioned that you don't want Amazon is to do your prep, right? I mean, I've been doing this for a long time and I have stories of like, you know, when I've sent something in, they say something's wrong and they relabel it and the entire thing they relabel is wrong. And then I have to do it all. Like finally, I just get so frustrated. I'm like, send it back to me. I'll fix it and send it back to you because, yeah. 
you know, it's not your product, right? If somebody else is prepping your product, they're not going to know what the product is. They're not going to know, you know, you know, your, your product better than anyone else. Right. So if you like outsource that to somebody else, you're taking a chance, especially Amazon who, you know, it might be that that person's, you know, I assume their turnover there is probably pretty high. I've heard it is, but I don't know that firsthand. Um, you know, so it might be somebody who's just like, you know, slapping stickers on as fast as they can. They might've pushed the wrong button on the screen and now you've got, you know, hundreds of items with the wrong sticker. So, um, I definitely think that's something that people want to put more time into, um, especially on the first shipment is just kind of making sure all those boxes are checked. Like you said, maybe a checklist would be a good thing to, to come up up with, um, on your own. The other really interesting thing on this conversation is weight and size. You kind of mentioned that, right? And so many sellers don't realize there's so much profit margin to be had in getting really creative in terms of your packaging, your products, you know, how it's packaged, all of those kinds of things. Because if you get creative, I mean, like, for example, one of Amy's products, you know, she went from something that was this huge thing in this huge box to something that could collapse down. Now it's, you know, a lot of places are charging volume rather than weight uh, for shipments, things like that. So you can really squeeze so much more profit um, out of your product, if you're getting creative and being really uh, informed on the types of packaging that you're doing, any other uh, kind of tips that you can use in terms of squeezing as much profit out of these shipments as you can without, you know, sacrificing quality of the product or packaging? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think optimization all, all along the line, you know, from the carton to the pallet to the container uh, is extremely important. I think that you're really missing out on a lot of profit, like you said. One of the other places to consider looking at getting more profit is your units per carton, especially if you're stopping by a 3PL. It doesn't really matter as much if you're going from China directly to Amazon, um, but a 3PL will charge you for the for putting a sticker on a, on a container or on a carton, right? Every sticker is $1.75, something like that, like literally just putting a label on a carton. And then, you know, carton pull fees and you've got, you know, labor fees. So you've got all these fees that stack up. So if you have a product where it, you know, one, one shipment is, you know, a thousand boxes and you can get it down to 800 boxes just by changing how many units you're putting in there, you can save a lot of money. And so that's something to consider when you're doing that though, you have to make sure that the size of the box isn't too big for either US customs, your freight forwarder or Amazon. And then you also have to consider that if you have way too many units, Amazon restricts how many units you can have in a box. You have to make sure that if you put enough, so many units that it's not gonna be crushed. So you might wanna increase the thickness of the box, maybe you know a, a box that's, either, you know, five layer or seven layer, because that becomes an issue. So if you are saving a bunch of money, but then half of it arrives broken, you know, what is the point? So those are all things to factor in. And the final thing to factor in, and this is where I just, I geek out and I'm like, we need a calculator for this. The final thing to factor in is if you have a hundred, you know, if you have a hundred units, but you're only allowed to send in 50, because of restock limits, then that's going to be a problem as well. So you don't want to have so many units in there that it doesn't allow for the flexibility of sending inventory into Amazon. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things, so, you know, creating a shipment to Amazon, you know, I learned this the hard way. Um, 
but I'm sure that you can give some great insight in terms of, and it's something fairly simple, but a lot of people don't know the difference between like, you know, when you're going through all the steps, case pack, and then the single items, right? Like, and a lot of times if you can do case pack, it's, it's a lot better in terms of only having to go to one fulfillment center, things like that. Can you kind of explain the difference between the two and the pros and cons between that two, you know, those two different setups? So the individual and the case pack. Right. Yeah. So, so most people who are shipping private label, I believe are, are going to do a case pack, but um, the, the difference is, you know, you've got, you've got, basically it's all of the same product all, you know, all put together in. So you don't have multiple different products kind of mixed in the same carton. Um, so if you're able to do that, it helps to save uh, on confusion. It also helps to save on prep time, prep time, especially if you're, you're packing your own stuff gets, can be very labor intensive when you have to, uh, you basically have three different, you know, locations that you have to ship to. And then you have to figure out how many things go in this box, these boxes to go to one place, how many things go in those boxes to go to one, another place. And if you get that confused or mixed up, then, you know, you're going to have problems with Amazon having to correct your mistake and delay, you know, the availability of the inventory when it actually checks in. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so what are some recommendations for new sellers who are just getting started selling any kind of uh, tips that you can get people, you know, to be successful out, out of the door? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I would say, you know, having something to track your inventory. I, you know, we our our software is a little bit, um, I wouldn't say advanced, but when you, there are tools out there. So when you're just getting started, you either can have a spreadsheet, which we have a a DIY spreadsheet that we make available to people who aren't at the point of being ready to pay for a software, but just understanding, um, understanding your numbers and understanding how to track your inventory. If you have a a third-party warehouse, you actually have to be checked, uh, tracking both your reorders and your transfers. So it can quickly get complicated. So having a system in place from the get-go will help to ensure that you don't run out of stock. I love that. So one of the other things I, I'm interested in is if you, if you maybe you know this uh, or not, I'm not sure if there's anything new. I haven't done a shipment in a while, but you know, in the past you were able to create shipments to FBA, like when you're selling a lot and be able to kind of lock in that inventory, right? So if you didn't get to it right away that you could then ship it, you know, late, like a, with, I think it was within 30 days um, to kind of lock in that inventory space. Any tricks like that? Anything that's kind of any workarounds right now? Because I think they decrease that to a week, right? When you create a shipment now, I think you can only have up to a week, but that's still something to think about if you are going to stock out to try to shoot that gap, right? Yeah. So they, so they will sometimes cancel your orders and sometimes they won't. So it's kind of a a crapshoot. But one of the things that was, was working well for people, um, it, it was kind of a hack that we were using Amazon's very interested in multi-channel fulfillment. So they want to know, they want two things. I think it's, it's basically, they want data. They want to know how much their, their, um, their competitors are actually moving. So Shopify, if you connect your Shopify account to fulfill through Amazon, Amazon gets two things. They get to know how much you're actually moving through Shopify, but they also get the customer uh, addresses as well, which I think is pretty uh, devious. So they've had this program where they're pushing and promoting to get people to move their inventory back to multi-channel fulfillment. A lot of people, when the restock limits occurred, switched and said, 
you know, I'm just going to have someone else fulfill this. So they're trying to get people to start fulfilling their off Amazon sales through Amazon uh, newly. And one of the things that they were able to, um, to, to do to try to reward people was last, last uh, quarter, they rewarded them by giving them additional space. And so we had some people who were getting approval. We had people overnight, their limits were doubling or they were increasing by 50%. And there was an email. Um, it, it's multi-channel fulfillment sales at amazon.com. Also seem to work for amazon.co.uk. I'm still encouraging people to send them an email. And basically what you're looking for is you're looking, they're looking for 30 day projections. What do you plan to sell on Amazon and, and uh, on your other channels within the next 30 days? It was a, a program that they implemented for Q3, but as, as recently as about a week or two ago, people were seeing success with it still. So it's, a, it's interesting, but multi-channel fulfillment actually contributes to your restock limits. Yeah, that's interesting because I think that part of the reason, uh, like you said, the inventory limits pushed a lot of people to 3PLs and also uh, Merchant Fulfilled, right? So I've been doing that pretty much from the beginning. I've always had backup stock on Merchant Fulfilled because I've run into so many issues with uh, Amazon fulfillment, especially during the holidays. And I feel like a lot of people the last few years got burned by that, right? They were like selling like crazy and all of a sudden like, wait, I can't send any more in. What? Like, and a lot of them didn't even have, you know, Merchant Fulfilled backup or anything like that. So I think this might be their, you know, their uh, effort to try to win trust back. But in my opinion, it's still really smart to diversify that inventory, right? Like have it at, at, at Amazon, have it at a third party and even have some in your garage if you need to, you know, just have some backup. Um, of And even if you do the 80-20 and it's just your best-selling product, right, or your two best-selling product, whatever it is, just to kind of hedge against that. Because, you know, Amazon talks a big game on all this stuff. But, you know, if all of a sudden the shipments start going up like crazy because there's some event that happens in the world or, you know, COVID or whatever, the, you know, whatever the event is now that we've learned that, you know, that, that kind of stuff can happen. Yeah. I always like to be prepared. But, you know, I'm kind of a prepper anyway. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, one of the one of the bright thoughts I had a couple of days ago that I actually haven't haven't shared around very much um, on on the topic of restock limits and uh, FBM is the we know that there's sell through, you know, FBM actually contributes to sell through. It contributes to restock limits. We know that the top of the of the um, formula is sell through and the bottom of the formula is your FBA utilization. If you're selling FBM those sales are gonna to contribute to improving that top line and gonna to contribute to improving the bottom line because the inventory is actually not being held there. So you could essentially, let's say, source a product that um, is very lightweight, very easy to, to sell. Let's say, for example, you know, tattoos, you know, women's tattoos or whatever, you stick it in a little sleeve and you send it off and it's extremely cheap to fulfill. Um, you could do at a very, very discounted price, you could, improve your sell-through at the same time you're not holding any of that stock at fba and so you can actually use fbm to improve that sell-through rate significantly and i don't think anyone's really started thinking about or talking about um, how fbm actually offsets both of those uh portions of the formula 
Yeah. And it also, what people don't realize too, is when you do like, for example, FBM or seller fulfilled prime, something like that, just another category of or another class of, of offer, right? When you go into your listing and you say, I want to create a new offer, you say, you know, uh, one's FBA, one's FBM, one's, you know, third party logistics partner. Um, what, what people don't realize is, is that the, that Amazon also takes into account things like your location, right? Like if you're FBM location, like say you're in California, right? You're in uh, near San Francisco. If somebody pulls up your inventory from San Francisco and you're, you know, if you drop it in say the postal service, or if you do UPS, whatever it is, they know, they know how long that shipment's going to take to get from your FBM location to that customer. And sometimes they will actually push the customer to your FBM listing in order to, for it to get to the customer quicker because Amazon's all about delighting the customer, right? So if it's coming from their fulfillment center, maybe in Southern California, maybe it's going to take two days, but if it comes straight from you, it's only going to take a day. So those are all also, so to me, it's like the more offers you have, the also the more opportunities you have to sell because Amazon will see that in the algorithm. And if your, your competitor is going to take two days from, from the Amazon fulfillment center, they still may push your offer. You know, we can't guarantee that because they don't share the algorithm, but that's my guess. And we've kind of seen that happen before. Right. Yeah. All right. Last but not least, we, we love getting to this point is, you know, we always talk Amazon here, but, but as you know, it's funny because in the Amazon world, I always see like people are into Amazon crypto and real estate. I feel like those kinds of three things always go together. So we don't, it doesn't necessarily have to be e-commerce or any of that kind of stuff, but what, what are your, what kind of things are you interested in right now? Anything you're studying, anything you're doing in personal development? Uh, we always uh, love to hear about those kinds of things. Me personally, um, funny enough, I'm actually, we got something called a farm stand. So I've been kind of addicted to this farm stand. It's this uh, hydroponic, uh, I, I got it from a company called Lettuce Grow, pay about like $600 and you get this big stand and we're growing things. So we, you know, have eaten lettuce that we've grown there. We've got little green beans growing. We're trying to grow zucchini, having a little bit of trouble with that little mini egg, eggplants and tomatoes and peppers and things like that. Um, and it, they grow extremely fast. Like you can have a head of lettuce, you know, from a, a seedling to a head of lettuce that you're eating, you know, on your dinner table in like three weeks. So that's been really, really, uh, impressive and exciting because I used to kill everything. I've always wanted to be a gardener and I've always been horrible at it. Um, and that's been, you know, extremely exciting, especially knowing that I can grow my own food. The supply chain, you know, is crazy. People are all talking about how, you know, we're all going to starve and, you know, run out of toilet paper still. So that's been um, probably the most exciting thing that I've been doing recently. Oh, fellow prepper. I love it. Yeah, we are. We're doing the same things. Like I said, you know, like, like we were talking about before this all started, you know, the, the world just seems like it's going in a, in a strange place. And nowadays it's hard to know who's telling the truth. You know, that I think that's the biggest issue right now is it's so hard to gauge. There's no really, you know, unless you're getting it for like, I, I feel like a lot of people are going back to community driven information. Right. So now it's all like, we ask our friends and family, like, what was your experience with X, Y, or Z? Because there's an agenda, no matter where it's coming from. Right. So I love to get it from the horse's mouth. So yeah, that's uh, the, I always say this, I could do, I, I've, I've thought about it doing a podcast just on this kind of stuff. Cause I think it's super, super interesting, but anyway, back to you, where mm -hmm. can people find you? Tell us about what you're up to, uh, you know, what you're offering and how people can get in touch with you. Sure. So, um, you can look up. So stocks.com. 
and uh, learn about our, our software. You can also go to sostock.com forward slash connect. My social media is there, my email. Um, also, I do webinars. So I do webinars on the subject of inventory management, on the subject of the basics, uh, best practices, and restock limits, and then logistics as well. And we also have a demo. So if you go to sostock.com forward slash connect, you can see a demo of the software. Um, the other thing that we're doing is Amy and I are putting on a Texas meetup event. It's a seller meetup. We, meetup isn't even appropriate for this, what we're doing. There's just so many amazing sellers that are coming out uh, to come speak at this event. And so I think that if you have the ability to jump on a plane and come to Austin, Texas, it's Austin, Texas, it's going to be on the 15th of October. We have a mixer that's being hosted by the, uh, the, the guys at Sellers Funding that's going to be on that Thursday, so the 14th, Thursday night. We have a VIP dinner hosted by uh, the, the guys at Elevate Brands and just a ton of amazing people. It's going to be an intimate event. So the caliber of people that you'll be able to connect with on an actual, you know, real deep level, not just one of those. We've got people who speak at events that have three, 4,000 people, you know, when we can gather, right, like Prosper, they speak at these huge events and they're going to be speaking at our intimate events. So you'll have the ability to connect with them. People like Tim Jordan and Norm Farrar, um, the guys from Solozo and uh, John Tilly, who's co-founder or who's the founder of Zong Guru, just all of these guys, um, Canopy Management, uh, Brian Johnson, all of these guys are going to be there speaking uh, about the fourth quarter. Basically, how do you how do you optimize your fourth quarter? How do you make sure that you know you really get as much as you can, as much as possible, out of uh, the next four or the next three months? It's three months, right? Yes, the next three months of selling on Amazon. Love it, and you get to go and say y'all and eat lots of good barbecue food, right? That is correct. It's a, a requirement. And uh, to find out, go to seller, sellermeetup.com. That's where you can find more information about the event uh, and about the, the tickets and the speakers and everything like that. Awesome. Thanks so much for being on uh, today, Chelsea. It was super interesting. And I think that this is a, definitely a subject that doesn't get enough play because you know, a lot of people just think that it's like an afterthought, right? Oh, I just send my stuff in, right? And, and then I sell it. But, you know, it's just like Amy and I talking about listings all the time. You know, this is a foundational thing. And if you don't get this right, it can bite you as you grow. Um, so it's good to get it dialed in now. So uh, great information. Thank you so much. It was awesome to talk to you. As usual, folks, if you would please rate, review, subscribe, let your friends know if they're getting into Amazon about the podcast. You can join us live in the Zoom meeting to ask questions, to interact with us, to get stuff that we don't record or uh, publish on the live stream. Sellroundtable.com forward slash live every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific time. Thank you guys so much for being here. We'll see you next time on the Seller Roundtable. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Join us every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for live Q&A and bonus content after the recording at sellerroundtable.com. Sponsored by the ultimate software tool for Amazon sales and growth, SellerSEO.com and AmazingAtHome.com.